I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew, and we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. We're in our new sermon series, and i got to look at it because I always say it wrong. It's out with the old and in with the new. And last week we talked about our old self. We talked about how each one of us uh, has been told by Christ to put to death the old self. And told by Paul here in this scripture to put to death the old self and and to be anew. And so this morning we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians talking about that. Uh, But the way that we're going to do that this morning is a little different. Um, because when I was in school, I, I took a class on a guy named C.S. Lewis. Anybody ever heard of him? He writes some books about church. Really good. Okay. Um, in fact, when we were in the class, uh, I told my professor was having a conversation with us, and some of us started joking around about, you know, he said, what, are you ready to get deep in theology? And we said, yeah, let's read the Chronicles of Narnia. And he said, you're not ready for that theology yet. And when we thought that was a joke, we quickly came to the realization that he was for real that some of the deepest writings that C.S. Lewis ever had written or put, put to paper were actually in the Chronicles of Narnia, his children's stories. And so our scripture lesson for this morning, um, Lewis actually uses for the, for the basis of one of his stories a book called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Anybody ever familiar with it? If, if you've ever seen the movie, please forget everything you ever saw uh, because they did not do the book justice. Uh, and so our story starts... In this moment, there's a little boy by the name of Eustace. Those who have read the book, you either love the character or hate the character a lot. Um, Eustace is a little boy who has all the talent in the world. He's, he's been given all these gifts. Uh, he's intelligent. He's smart. But his problem is, is the only person that he cares about is himself. And so what happens is, is they're on this pirate ship. They're sailing around the world. And to make a very long story short... Uh, they find themselves on an island stopping to get provisions and stopping to fix their ship. And so what happens is, is everybody needs to pitch in. Everybody needs to give a little bit to, to kind of get back into the water. But Eustace, as I said before, thinks he's better than everybody else. And he's a little bit selfish. So what he does, while everybody's hard at work, is he just kind of sneaks off by himself. And, and when he gets to the beach, he notices that they're on this like cliff-filled uh, island. And he figures if... If he can sneak away while everybody's working hard, unnoticed, he can go to the top of one of these cliffs and he can just kind of lay down for a nap and he can keep an eye on things from up above and and he's just going to take a nap. And so Eustace climbs to the top of the cliff. But what happens is, is Eustace climbs to the top of the cliff and when he gets there, a storm has blown in very fast. And as he gets to the top of the cliff, he soon comes to the realization that he can't even see uh, 10 feet in front of him, let alone down below to enjoy the view. So in frustration, he lays down at the top of this cliff and he takes a 10-second nap. Now, I don't know about you. I used to fall asleep in study hall all the time. And my reaction, some of you have had this reaction where you fall asleep and then all of a sudden you do that intense knee, arm, leg jerk that you do and you wake up and you come to the realization you just slept through most of the class. I mean, study hall. (laughs) You didn't hear that, high school students. But that's what Eustace does. He lays down and he falls asleep, quickly coming to the realization that he didn't, in fact, lay down for a couple of minutes. He laid down for a long period of time. And so in a panic, he jerks to his feet, and he can't see where he's going, so he starts down the cliff. And as he starts down the cliff, it must have started to sprinkle or something, because now there's mud everywhere. And, and he's slipping, and he's sliding, and he's reaching to grab a hold of trees, and, and he quickly comes to the realization he's actually gone down the wrong side of the cliff. 
And, and so now he's slipping and he's sliding in the mud and he gets to the bottom where it's this flat spot and he comes to the realization, I went down the wrong side of the cliff and now I'm stuck in a valley. When he gets into the valley, he looks around and all around him, he sees what looks like a forest fire around him. It just a scorched earth, all burnt up. And he sees cliffs all around him. In fact, he looks back at the way he came down and comes to the realization that he's lucky to be alive because he must have found the only way down the cliff. And so as the rain starts to pick up, Eustace tries to go back up the cliff only to find that it has become muddy and slippery. And the path that he has now taken, he cannot go back. And he's stuck. Now he begins to think about what everybody's thinking. Eustace is gone. Are they looking for me? Do they even care that I'm gone? And as he's kind of looking around, he realizes that there's this giant well in the middle of a valley. And even though it's raining, he starts to get a little parched, and he thinks, I'm going I'm to go get a drink. And he starts walking towards this, this, this big well. And as he gets closer and closer to the well, he sees a cave off in the distance. And he thinks, oh, you know what? It's raining. I'll get a drink. I'll go into the cave. And as he gets closer and closer to the well, he sees little wisps of smoke pouring out of the well. Now, in his mind, he stops for a moment to begin to assess the situation, and he starts to think, maybe there's people in there. Maybe there's a fire in there. When all of a sudden, he feels the ground underneath of him shaking. It was really awesome in the 9 o'clock because that's when ice slid off the roof. <laughs> it's like God gave me special effects. And in that moment, the ground is shaking. And Eustace sees coming out of the cave that is right in front of him, he sees this old, gnarled, grizzled dragon. And so he does what any one of us would do. He froze in his tracks. He, he kind of inched his way towards a burnt tree, and, and he got behind the burnt tree as he watched as this big, majestic, scaly dragon worked its way majestically, just looking like a dragon, towards the water fountain. And with every step that the dragon took, it began to stumble. It began to trip. It began to, to make this guttural noise deep inside of it like, it like it knew where Eustace was and it was going to squirt flames all over him. And, and so Eustace began to get more terrified and more terrified when he finally realized the dragon, in fact, was not running after him. It was actually tripping and falling. And the dragon fell to its face. And with a loud belch, it died. In that moment of silence with this majestic beast right in front of him, Eustace thinks to himself, there's nobody around. There's nobody looking. And he puts his foot up on the dragon and he says, I just slayed a dragon. And he started creating and conjuring this story in his mind of how he would go back and he would bring everybody back here to show him this dragon that he slayed. And just as his arrogance can't get any more, it starts raining harder and harder. So Eustace makes his way for the cave. And as he gets to the cave, he's walking in and the, and the light is getting darker and darker. He starts walking deep into the cave when he notices underneath of his feet there's a crumbling and there's a crunching. Now most of you out here know when you have a dragon, you find something that belongs to the dragon called the dragon hoard, which is all the gold and treasure that the dragon treasures and brings in. And Eustace, not like the rest of us, didn't know that. 
And so to his surprise, when the light hits perfectly in the cave and he sees gold and bracelets and rubies and gems before him, he reaches down and he's just awestruck. He starts thinking to himself, I'm never going to have to answer to anybody again in my life. I'm my own boss. I'm my own king. It's all about me. I don't have to worry about a boat. I'll buy a boat. And he starts to jam his pockets full of every piece of treasure that he can find. There's one particular bracelet that is just immaculate, filled with diamonds and rubies and emeralds and sapphires. And he falls in love with this thing and he jams it over over his, over his hand to see if it'll fit and it's too big so he slides it up his arm and he just continues to pack himself full of treasure well by this time the storm has really come in and it's raging outside and he decides he's going to sit down and take another one of those naps and when he does he begins to think about how he is now the master of his own universe how he is now the king and he falls asleep with dragonish intentions in his heart on top of a dragon horn All of a sudden, it's hours later, and Eustace wakes up to a terrible pain in his arm. And when he wakes up, he just opens his eyes slowly, and he's sitting there, and he notices there's now smoke filling the room that he's in. Starting to think, hmm, maybe there was a second dragon that I missed. And so cautiously, Eustace begins to reach for the pain in his arm. When all of a sudden, in the shadows, off in a distance, he sees what looks like a dragon's paw moving towards him. So he holds his breath. He sits there quietly, and the dragon freezes as well, almost like it's mocking him. He can't hold his breath any longer, so he lets out a huge breath. And just as he lets out a huge breath, billows of smoke fill the room. He turns his head just in time to see the dragon turn his its head in the shadows at him. And, and so Eustace does what any one of us would do. He forgets everything. He gets up and he starts running. But when he's running out of the cave, he comes to the realization, for some reason, he's not running on two legs anymore, but he's, he's running on all fours. And, and he sees the dragon shadow chasing closely behind him. And he, and he says, if I can just get to that well, if I can jump into the water of the well, the dragon won't be able to burn me. It won't be able to hurt me. And so he makes for that well and he's running and he's running and he's out of breath and he sees the shadow of the dragon catching up to him and he gets to the well. And just as he's about to jump into the well, he looks into the well with the moonlight behind him and he sees the reflection of a dragon staring right back at him. There, in fact, was not a second dragon. Eustace had become the dragon. With the dragonish intentions in his heart, he laid on top of a dragon's hoard, and he had now become what he lusted for. The pain in his arm grew deeper and deeper, and he began to try to tear away at the scales on his arm as he began to weep. But there was no consuming the pain. You know, the church in Ephesus, if you have your Bibles or your service sheets, when you God came in, they gave him to you. You can turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. When we look at the Ephesian church, I see a church that is very similar to the church here in America. It's in a culture that, that, that exists in the Greco-Roman world that is very focused on its own desires and its own needs. In the Greco-Roman era, it was, a, it was an era where the Jewish people, actually, they were teaching that there was two types of people in the world. There were the Jews, and then there was the Gentiles. And so you've got this mindset going on in the, in the church at Ephesus that, uh, 
that there was Jewish Christians and then there was Gentile Christians, but they couldn't mix. And so Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church because he wants the Ephesian church to settle down. He wants them to quit thinking about themselves. He wants them to put aside their dragonish intentions, and he wants them to become unified. He wants them to become unified because Paul points out there's a third reality out there that we're not looking at. You're not a Jew. You're not a Gentile. You're a Christian. And so in our passage today, Paul is making reference to this point. You know, when we look at this statement, I always mess this statement up. It's out with the old and in with the new. When we look at that, we really hear two phrases. But the reality of it is, is there are three things that take place in that statement. There's the old, which Pastor Doug taught us about last week. And then there's that moment of the new, where today we're going to refer to that as being dressed anew. But in the middle of that, there's this rebirth moment. There's this reborn moment. Some of us call it the saved moment. There's that moment where we're made new. So you've got the old you, you've got that reborn moment, and then you've got the new you being dressed and clothed in Christ. And so this morning as we look at this passage, we're going to talk about these three things. Understanding the church in Ephesus experienced and went through a lot of the same things that we as a church are going through today. They were a church that that really wanted to do good, but they were very focused on, on lustful desires of their own heart. And since you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner, and we're all broken and messed up because when Adam and Eve sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? We're all sinners. We can say that we all have evil intentions in our heart from time to time. And that only by asking God to help us with them can we deal with them. So let me read this scripture passage to you. If you have your Bibles, it's Ephesians 4, 17. It says this, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, and the futility of their thinking. Now, the futility of their thinking was what I said earlier. It's thinking about all those lustful things, thinking about all those greedy things. It goes on to say they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life that, uh, excuse me, separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. It's amazing because the church in Ephesus was doing this thing where they would look at certain sins, And they would hold a certain sin in a higher regard than another sin. Isn't that crazy that they would do that? They would say, oh, that guy's doing this, so it's evil, it's awful. But this guy's doing this, so it's it's kind of okay. God God still doesn't like it. So that's what's happening in Ephesus is they're they're whole that's futility. That's 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 crazy thinking. Paul's actually driving the point home here. He's saying, Did you know when you actually sin, that's not the problem? When you actually sin, that's actually the result of the problem. The result, the reason you have this problem is because you have a messed up mind. Now, in the Greco-Roman speak, that means it comes from a broken, messed up heart. And we all just said a couple minutes ago that we're all broken and we're all messed up. and We've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? And so would you agree that sometimes in our culture, we have futile thoughts and we have messed up minds. We have sick minds so to speak, because we indulge our sinful nature. Paul's telling us that we can no longer think in those mindsets because that leads to a hardening of our hearts or a desensitizing. Have you ever seen something go on in our culture and just gone and gone, eh? I'm going to tell you, as a church, we're being desensitized to the seriousness of sin in our culture We like to to point out the really attractive-looking sins, so to speak. 
the ones that are real juicy and full of gossip. We want to talk about homosexuality and abortion, but we need to be talking about marriages just as much. Because there's stuff going on in there that we're not addressing, and that is futile thinking. It is sick-minded. It is broken. It continues to say, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with continued lust for more. This is what we're supposed to put off people. Continues on, and now this is that birth moment. This is that new moment. The first part we just read there is talking about the old. Now we're talking about this birth moment because it says in verse 20, You, however, did not come to know Christ this way. See, when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He sets you free from all that garbage. And the only person that brings you back to that sinful garbage is you. Did you know that? We give Satan a lot of credit he doesn't deserve. Because the reality of it is, is because we're broken, because we're sinful, it's easy for us to slide back into our dragonish ways, right? Kind of like when we try to peel something from ourselves that hurts, but we just, it's too much work, right? God desires for us to get rid of the old. He wants us to have this moment where we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And then comes the third moment, and it's putting on the new self. What does the new self look like? Well, let's read. It says this in 21. Surely you've heard of him and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when we have that Christ moment, when we begin to follow Jesus, there comes this next moment where we begin to dress and smell and look and act like Jesus. We're called, Christians, to live righteous lives. Paul goes on in Ephesians to talk about the way we speak to one another, the way we treat one another, whether we use foul language, whether we argue with one another, whether we debate, hate, cheat. You know, what are, how are we treating each other? If you remember in the summer, we taught this same passage as we talked about church unity. Because as believers in God, we are to be holy. We are to strive for righteousness. Sin is sin. It's not okay because it doesn't hurt me, as our society will say. I didn't write the book of the Bible, and neither did you. What God says is sin is sin. And we have two options. We can either help people through it, or we can be opposed to God. There is no middle ground on this stuff. Are you following what I'm saying, church? The Christian community needs to strive for holiness and righteousness. You see, Eustace, dressed up like a dragon, decided he would try to fit into his normal life again. And so what he did was he flies off and he, and he goes down to where the boat is and he finds the boat. And as, as you can imagine, if you're on a boat that's armed to the hilt with cannons and guns and stuff and a massive dragon starts to fly at you, you're going to shoot at it. And so here's Eustace. He tries to meet up with his friends. He tries to go back to his way of life, but he's living with this dragonish skeleton on him. And he goes back and he quickly comes to the realization that being the dragon isn't going to be this cool thing that he thought it was going to be. 
He's like, I can fly. I can do this. I'm mighty. I'm powerful. But when he goes to visit his friends, they do not even recognize who he is. And so defeated, the dragon boy flies to his valley where he sits and weeps because he comes to the realization that he is no longer what he was created to be. He's a monster. And so sitting there weeping and crying, he looks out of the corner of his eye and he sees a lion coming out of the woods. Now, if you know the story, you know the lion is represented kind of as a Jesus figure. In the book, it says that Eustace looked at the lion and he couldn't tell if the lion was speaking, moving his mouth or not, but he could hear the lion very plainly. And it said to him, you're weeping. It must have been silly to see a dragon bowing before a lion in the wilderness like, it, like he did, but he says, I answered back, and he says, yes, I'm weeping because I used to be something, and now I'm this monster, and I don't know how to get back, and I'm in so much pain, and, and every time I try to, to fix myself, every time I, time, time I try to make it right, I, I think I've got to the source of the problem, and just when I think I've got to the source of the problem, all of my scales have grown back, and I'm still the monster that I once was. Well, the lion said, you're doing it wrong. Eustace looked at the lion and said, what do you mean I'm doing it wrong? The lion said, you have to let me undress you. So Eustace, kind of freaking out, says, what do you mean I have to let you undress me? And he starts tearing at his arm, and he says, see, I told you, it doesn't work. And he, and he tears at his arm, and he tries to tear at the bracelet that's causing him so much pain, encrusted down in, and, and he tears, and he tears, and he tears, and he's bleeding. And, and just as the, the bracelet's exposed, he goes to show the lion the wound. He says, see what I'm talking about? And when he shows the lion the wound, it had crusted over with scales once again. And the lion looks at him and he smiles. He says, I told you, you have to let me do it. And Eustace looks at the lion and he says, will it hurt? And the lion looks back at him with all the tenderness in his heart and he says, worse than anything you've ever experienced in your life, it will hurt. And so Eustace, not knowing what else to do, sticks his chest out in front of the lion and says, undress me. The lion roars back with his mighty paws and he cuts deep into the heart of the, of the dragon. Eustace lets out a scream and thinks in his mind, this, the dragon said, he said he was going to let me out of this shell, he was going to let me out of this skin, but the lion is cutting into the very person of who I am. He's cutting into my soul and with a loud scream, Eustace let out a scream and, and he collapsed unconscious. And when he woke up, he quickly noticed that the pain in his arm had gone away. And when he went to look at the pain in his arm, he quickly realized that not only had the bracelet fallen away, but all of the dragon skin was dead and around him. And he, in fact, was the boy that he was intended to be. In that moment, something changed in the heart of Eustace. The lion had peeled away all the broken, scaly, messy, nasty, evil, dragonish intentions. And not only did Eustace become what he was meant to be, he began to take on the attributes of the lion. 
Because you see, when Eustace went back to the ship, Eustace was no longer a coward, but he was brave. He was no longer mean to everybody, but he was nice. He didn't only look out for his own interests, but he looked out for the interests of others. And I'm going to tell you right now, each one of us is harboring dragonish intentions in our heart that is turning us into something that God, the Lion of Judah, Jesus, never intended for any of us to be. Are you following me? Children's story, amazing, right? Each one of us is harboring something in our heart that's keeping us from being what God intended us to be. And I'm going to tell you right now, God does not want you to think of yourself as a Jew. He does not want you to think of yourself as a Gentile. He wants you to think of yourself as one of his little ones, set free from the bondage that the dragonish intentions puts on us. Is this making sense, church? God wants you, as he told us through Paul, he wants you to forget about the old you. He wants to undress you. He wants you to have a moment where he makes you new, the way that you were intended to be, and then he wants to clothe you in his righteousness, in his grace, in his holiness, in his mercy. I love how what Romans has to say about this. I'm going to ask the guys to go ahead and bring that scripture passage up here. And I do believe it's found in Romans 13, 14. It says this, Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. It's that simple. You feel empty. You feel lost. You feel alone. You feel broken, used up, like God could never use you. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you will ask Christ to tear into your heart, he will make you new and he will clothe you in the clothes that he intended you to be in. He will make you righteous. He will help you walk the path of holiness. He will help you to love God and to love others. So this morning, that's my challenge to you. What's the dragon skin in your life that God needs to remove? Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the words that Paul taught to the Ephesian church to no longer gratify the desires of their sinful nature, to put off the new self, to put on the new, to look to you, Jesus, for you came from heaven, you gave yourself up as an offering for us on the cross so that we could forever dwell with you. And so as we come to this, your table, Lord Jesus, and we have a moment of repentance, I pray that you would convict us of the things that we need you to cut out of our lives. Help us to put to death the old self and to be dressed anew in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.